Awesome. Awesome. Hope you guys heard that on television. You can't give a high five, but you can bump elbows and have a seat. That's a bit, I won't say stupid. I'm not going to. All right. Social distancing. I don't like the phrase. It's wrong. Distancing's not wrong. Social distancing is wrong. Should be physical distancing. We should never social distance, unless you're a hermit. Anyway, hey, uh, last week we began our series called Follow. And, uh, and obviously today is following that, and, and uh, we're going to stay in that. What? Anyway, you know, the children of Israel were on a quest to secure their promises of God, and they're about to face this formidable enemy. I mean, they were called giants. We're just saying, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble, you know, and you, you, you do away with fear. Well, there's not a lot of things I'm afraid of, honestly. I know I'm not big, but Adam's are small and they're very explosive, you know, and I'm not big and there's not a lot I'm afraid of because my name means brave, believe it or not, from the battlefield. But I have to confess there is one thing I am terrified of. Not spiders, not snakes. Yeah, thank you, Jim. Uh, okay, two things I'm terrified of. Um, and I was trauma- traumatized by this many times as a kid. So I'm still a bit, and it's going to the dentist. No, serious, I was traumatized. Everything about that place makes me tremble. The smell, the people, the, you know, the drill. Can any of you relate to this? Oh, yeah, I'm not the only chicken. I heard a stat last week. I don't know if it's true. Listen, Pastor Darren tells a story. Pastor Nate tells a story. I'm telling you my story, so live with it. Um, I heard a stat last week that dentists have the highest profession of suicide. Is that true? I can understand why. I thought it would be the, the highest rate of being murdered. But anyway, uh, anyway, um, I, I said to Janet last week, she was going to the dentist. And I said, hey, I got something wrong with a tooth. Do, do you think you could talk to your dentist for me? Tell her my issues. See if she would have a little bit of compassion. And would you just kind of go talk to her and tell her how I am about going to the dentist? And, and so Janet goes in to see her and she begins describing my phobia of dentists. To her. And, and so the dentist said to Janet, what's his name? And Janet said, Keith Edwards. And she said, Charles Keith Edwards? That's scary when a dentist knows your name. <laughs> and Janet said, yes. She said, born 11th of January, 1958. Janet said, yes. It's like, do you know him? And she said, we haven't seen him since 2008. We actually have him on our records as being deceased. She's tried to kill me already. How about that? Talk about phobia. And Janet said, oh, I, listen, he is well and truly alive, but he's not looking forward to seeing you next week, which I am next week. So I ask for prayer and fasting and intercession. All you intercessors, get on your knees, because I can promise you that I will make my devotions robust that morning on courage and presence. That's my story. But listen, I told you that story to illustrate how fear can literally cripple you. And the children of Israel could not afford to let that happen as they were going to move into their God-given vision. They needed something that would give them courage and faith. And, and they were told, look at this thing called the Ark of the Covenant. Now, you might not know about the Ark of the Covenant unless you watch Indiana Jones. Most people know about the Ark of the Covenant from watching Indiana Jones. That's sad. So, did you know the Ark of the Covenant, listen, is mentioned 16 times in Joshua chapter 3 and 4? 16 times in two little chapters. 
It's just this little gold-plated chest of 120 centimeters by 60 centimeters by 60 centimeters. It's not that big, is it? It's like a small footlocker. But what this box carried gave them the strength and the boldness to believe they're going to have victory. Which is an amazing thing, isn't it? Just a gold-covered box. It's small. But it's not just a box. It's far more than that. So let's take our Bibles and turn again to that passage in Joshua chapter 3. It will be on the screen from you, uh, for you, not from you. I think both of us this morning, Earl. It's like you're talking about, what do you call it, the trash? Yeah, and so I'm saying from you. We will take the trash from you today. Uh, I'm reading from the New King James. It'll be on the screen if you want to follow or take your Bible and follow. Uh, Joshua chapter 3, verse 1. We read that last week. I'm going to read it again in Joshua chapter 1. Uh, chapter 3, verse 1. Here we go. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Acacia Grove and came to the Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they crossed. It, it was 10 miles from where they were to the edge of the river. It would have taken a whole day for these millions of people to move to the river, and they didn't move fast. Imagine Jericho hearing that sound, the marching of millions of people in their direction going, what is this? So they get there. Verse 2 was after three days that the officers went through the camp and they commanded the people saying, when you see the Ark of the Covenant, the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites bearing it, then you'll set out, you, shall, you shall set out from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it about 2,000 cubits by measure. He goes social distancing, do not come near it. Stay away from it that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. And Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. You know, the first important thing we see in this text is this. His presence is our focus. If you're writing notes, that first point is this. His presence is our focus. Not our methods, not our buildings. Not our education, not our ingenuity. It's interesting, when the apostles were brought before the Sanhedrin council, they said, these are unlearned men. They're Galileans. In my vernacular, they're hillbillies. They don't even speak properly. And yet the power of God went wherever they went. And His presence has to be our focus. The Bible says when you see the ark, when you see the presence of God, go after it. His presence is our focus. I think we're living in a time where we have to fall back more than ever before on the presence of God because we just, it's like all methods and all tactics and all strategies just went out the window this year. It's like God saying, I'm doing a new thing, as Pastor Darren said last week, because the ark for the Jews was the presence where God would sit in the tabernacle. Literally, they could see the, the presence of God come down out of heaven into the tabernacle and bam, into the Holy of Holies. Moses would go in and meet with him. And that's where the presence was. And his presence was to be their focus as they pursued the promises of God because it assured them the Lord is with us. He is working on our behalf and he will give us victory. If they looked any other direction or they followed anything else, no victory. The ark is his presence. But you know, today, presence isn't found in an object. You, you can wear all the crosses you want to, but it's not going to do away with the enemy. Now, presence isn't found in a place. Or an event. 
You know, you can go to all the meetings you want to go to and do all the things you want to go to. You can become, uh, you can become a conference addict. Now you can become a podcast addict or a Twitter addict or whatever for Christian stuff. It's okay, but it's not going to give you presence. You know, um, for us, the Bible makes it very clear. Jesus makes it very clear in the Gospel of John. Uh, he's not only with you, He will be in you. The presence of God is in every person who knows Jesus Christ as Savior. As a matter of fact, Paul says that you yourselves, your body is the temple where God lives. Isn't that amazing? You are the carrier of presence. But here's the deal. He didn't just use that same phrase to say you as individuals are presence carriers. He then turned that phrase in a few chapters later and said, but you together are the temple of God. Don't think it's just me and God and that's all I need in this COVID time because you alone with God is not enough. You alone with God doesn't constitute a church. I mean this as nice as I can for the people at home. But you and your family and your house, that's not a church. Yes, God is with you, but that's not the church. The church is different to that. It is bigger than that. It is more than that. My question to you is this. If you are the church, just you and your family, can you achieve the mission of getting the gospel to the world, just you and your family? Because that's what the church is for. Right? Mm, sorry. Just offend a few people there. I understand. You'll get over it. You've got to forgive. You know, in Ephesians chapter 2, it's interesting when people read the book of Ephesians and Paul says, you, you. We, we, we interpret it like this as Westerners, me, me, me. But Paul's not saying this is about you. He's saying this is about all of you. That's what it means in the original. And in chapter 2, verse 22, it says this, And in him you, all of you, are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. Right? So God's presence among us assures us of victory. And while God doesn't, he doesn't live in a building that we make, his presence is magnified when his people are gathered together. There's something Something of synergy together that happens when we are together. The New Testament uses collective language when it describes the church. I don't know if you know this, but the word church existed years and years and years before the New Testament. And it did not mean you and one other person or you and a Caesar or you and the leader of Greece. What it literally meant was all of you who are called out for a purpose. That's what it meant. When a village crier, they didn't call them then, that back then in Greece, but when, when an announcer would come into a town to bring a message from their king, he would, he would make this big announcement that would call everybody in the town out of their homes into the space together. That was called the church. The Bible took it and made it a Christian thing. Interesting, isn't it? It never meant one or two of you alone. It meant all of you called out of something into something together. So, and it's the same with a kingdom. How can, you, how can you have a kingdom when it's just you and a king? Because a kingdom is not only a king, but a kingdom is where and who he rules. And he doesn't just rule you or me, he rules all of us. And in you or me don't just extend the kingdom, all of us extend the kingdom. That's the language of the New Testament. And I want to tell you, we need to ensure that this is a high value and practice that we're not going to negotiate even in the face of a global pandemic. I'm not saying we shouldn't practice safe spaces and health. I'm saying we shouldn't hide away alone and think that that's going to tell us we're going to be able to do what God called us to do. 
We can't negotiate this. And while it's good to be able to connect from our homes, we can't slip into a comfortable way of doing church and lose the power of His presence that is magnified when we come together. That's what happens. It's not just me and God. It's us and God together. So His presence is our focus. That's your first point. The second point is this. As He directs, we follow. Let me say it again. As He directs, we follow. Simple points, but it says this in Joshua. When you see the ark of the covenant the Lord of the Lord your God and the priests and Levites bearing it, watch this next phrase, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. From your place. You see, pursuing God's presence means that we stay focused on Him and we follow where He leads. We go where He goes. We do what He does. The New Testament uses language that describes following His presence like this. Keep in step with the Spirit. In Galatians, Paul tells us. James tells us the, the brother of Jesus says, draw near to God, He'll draw near to you. That's about presence. Paul said in the book of Philippians, hey, I'm forgetting those things which are behind me. I'm reaching forward to those things which are before. That's reaching for His presence. Can I kind of challenge us to do something with Scriptures like that? Can I challenge us to stop reading them through the me lens? The I lens? Oh, yeah. You know, I will draw near to God. He'll draw near to me. I will keep in step with the Spirit, and He'll walk with me. I will reach forward to the things God has for me. Why don't we kind of think about it like this? Hey, together, we're going to keep in step with the Spirit, like an army. Why don't we read it like this? Together, we are going to draw near to the presence of God and watch Him draw near to us. Together, we're going to forget what God has done in the past or what hasn't happened in the past, and we're going to strain ahead together for everything that He's promised. Why not read it together? I'm just saying. Keep in step with the Spirit. I don't know if you have this problem. I'm going to be honest. Not that I haven't been honest earlier. You know, I could say, hey, I'm not preaching now. I'm telling the truth. Okay. I'm going to be honest. Thank you, Jim. Glad to have Jim in the audience. He always responds. Okay. Honesty. Honesty. You're going to find this a shock, guys. You're going to find this a shock. But here it comes. I try to rush God at times. Doesn't that shock you? Oh, my wife is laughing. Yeah, right. Yeah. I know. I know. I, I think he moves too slow. I mean, he's the Ancient of Days, for heaven's sakes. He's got forever. I don't. And I think he's too slow, so I run ahead of him. I can't think of a single time that that has worked. Have you, Pastor Earl? Yeah, not. And here's the deal. One of the challenges I've got personally is to learn to wait in his presence. And some people have the opposite problem. They're not moving forward at all. I rush ahead. Like if the ark was there, I'm out there. Some people, the ark is there. They're sitting way back there in the camp going, yeah, not. Listen, people, this is not a time to stand still. Nor is it a time to rush ahead of God. God is moving in this time. Listen, lift your eyes. The disciples came back from uh, getting food, and Jesus had already started his evangelism thing towards Samaria. And they thought, what in the heck's going on? And he said, don't say four months more till the harvest. Lift your eyes. They were missing what was going on. I'm telling you, don't say when the pandem pandemic is over and we go back to normal, we'll do church as normal and we might get a few extra people. Listen, lift your eyes. God is at work in this time. Yes. Children of Israel said, when you see the ark, the presence of God, 
set out from the place where you were at and follow it. Listen, here's the key. To go to something means you've got to leave something. To go to, you've got to go from. Can't do both. And if they were going to move forward, they could not stay where they were as they were. You know, we've been praying for each one of you that you come out of this thing better, bigger, faster, stronger, that you will not stay as you were and you will not stay where you were. And we say that to the whole church, not just you as an individual. And even though God was calling them to move, you know, have you noticed he didn't, give, he didn't even give Joshua a detailed map? Like, what the? You want me to do something? Even when he called Abraham, I want you to leave your home near Baghdad. That's where he was from. Just head, head west. Okay, where am I going? No, you just head west. Follow your nose. But what am I going to do? Just head west. Just follow. I don't know about you, but I don't like that. I like my GPS, and I like it to be accurate. And I don't like it when that little palmy voice gets aggravated at me when I don't do what she says. But you know what? Children of Israel, to go to something, from something, listen, here's what it means to follow God. You've got to learn to trust. Wait equals trust. Mm. They that wait upon the Lord, they that trust in the Lord shall renew their strength. That's what Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 tells us. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. He will direct your paths. Pursuing God's presence, here's the key, requires trust. I like what Bill Johnson said about this. Listen, this is key. Trust makes His presence more discoverable. Can I say that again? Trust makes His presence more discoverable. Hmm. You know, back in 1981, as Janet and I were preparing to move from America to come to Australia, um, we didn't have a detailed map. There's no such thing as GPS. I mean, all we knew is we were going to get on this now defunct airlines called Pan Am and fly it to Australia. One way. Bought one-way tickets. We didn't know what city we were going to live in. We didn't know what kind of income we were going to have. We didn't know what kind of car we were going to drive. Didn't know if we were even going to have a place to live. Serious. There were no details. But what we did have was a promise and a calling and a scripture that said, Trust me with all your heart. I've called you. I'm leading you. Just follow my presence and trust me because that's where I'm taking you. I'm, I've gone ahead of you and I'm taking you there, and I will direct your every path. It's amazing as you take one step, how the next step opens up. Now, funny that, 39 years later, we find ourselves in the same position. Like, come on, God, I thought we got over that. I, I'm middle-aged. I'm not an old person, I'm middle-aged. I, 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 I thought I was beyond this. I thought I was into settling down. God says, man, again, trust in me with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge me and I'll drop a detailed map out of heaven. No, that's not what he said. <laughs> I wished. But it's not to go back from where we were. It's to go where he is going and leading. We cannot go back to where we were. We've got to go ahead. And if victory is to go forward, she must go after his presence with all the trust that we have in him that he is working for our good. We can't rush him. 
Don't be like me and try to rush him, but you can't stay back where you were and get to where he wants you to go. So his presence is our focus. As he directs, we follow. I like the way the message version puts number four, verse four. It'll be on the screen for you. Make sure you keep a proper distance between you and it. This is not social distancing. About a half a mile. Be sure to keep your distance and you'll see clearly the route to take. Australia, route, route? Which one is it? How can you get root out of that? Anyway, Australians in root, I'll tell you what. You guys, you need to get cleansed, you know? Okay. I know I am, yeah. I'm a paper Aussie. So you'll see it clearly. You'll see the road clearly. Let's say that. You have never been on this road before. So here's the third point. Keep a clear view. Keep a clear view. His presence is our focus. As he directs, we follow. But keep a clear view. You can imagine this mass of people, millions. They have moved to the edge of the river. They see this raging torrent. I mean, it's, it's, it's flood time. The, the, the snows from Mount Hermon have thawed and the water's rushing from the north and the banks are breaking and they know Jericho's just on the other side and it's been reported there are giants in the land and we're nothing but grasshoppers and they're sitting there on the edge waiting, trusting. The young ones would have been crowding forward. Pastor Earl and Christina and Pastor Simo and Jess and Pastor Nate and Rach and I might even include Pastor Darren in this one. He's still young. They, they crowd. Come on, come on. They, you know, they're, they're kind of like they're ready to sprint. What are you guys waiting for? Give us the order. We're ready to go. Then there's people like Ron and Trish, Jim and Helen, Hazel and Warren, not Keith and Janet, who are kind of sitting back going, hang on, hang on, hang on. We remember our parents saying, there's giants over there. And they got big weapons. And their city wall is so wide, they race chariots on the top of it, side by side. What in the world? And then you got the young families, like the ones downstairs now in the jumping castle. This is no jumping castle, people. And they're going, my children, what am I taking my kids into? And then you got those who are impaired for some reason or another. Might be crippled. They've been slowed down by life's toughness. And they're sitting back reserved, maybe a bit anxious, what they're facing ahead. And the word comes, keep a distance of about 900 meters between you and the ark. Don't go near it. Now, there are two reasons for this. The first one is this. Number one, and this will shock you. Don't crowd the ark. There are millions of you. It's a small box. Everyone needs to see it, not just you. Make it possible for everyone to get a clear view of the presence. You know, when God starts moving, sometimes you get these people come out of the woodworks. They never come to church until the flaky stuff starts happening. I'm kidding. And then all of a sudden they show up and they want to get on the front rows and they want to get near the, the, the thing that's happening and they block people's view of what God really is doing by what they're doing and how they do it and what they're chasing. They're chasing an event, an experience. They're not chasing God. They block a view of the presence of God. And so Joshua was saying, hey, guys, if you get so close to that thing and you crowd around that thing going, oh, the presence of God, there's going to be people back there that need to see it who are anxious. And you're going to block their view. So here's my question, guys. 
By what you're doing right now, are you assisting people to see the presence or are you blocking the presence? Wow. This is why we've got to do this together, more together. It's not just about me and my glory fit with God. It's about us experiencing the presence of God. I'm not just concerned about can I know Him. I'm concerned about can all of us back here know Him together. Because I know together we're a lot stronger. That's one reason why. Let everybody see the presence. But here's another reason, and it's been lost today. Remember the sacredness of His presence. Can I ask you a question? And I don't mean this as a method, but when's the last time you got so struck by the presence of God you found yourself on your knees or your face? Nobody told you to. You just did it because God was in the room. I think we live in a generation where God is the familiar man upstairs. Hey, Daddy. I don't like that. They go, oh, yeah, but, you know, Daddy is the closest thing we have to Abba. And I'm going, well, then just call him Abba. Because it's a great Aramaic term. Abba. Daddy to me is like, that's what my little kids called me when I was little. My kids don't even call me daddy anymore. They call me dad. You know, they're familiar with me. And we've gotten familiar with the presence of God. They just stroll in. Yeah, it's church. Yeah. Something might happen, but even if it doesn't, we're going out to lunch after. And we stroll into the presence of God. Hey, big man upstairs. Guys, you are in the presence of holiness, the king of kings. But here's a great thing about presence. All of us play a part in his presence because we are his temple together. So we can either display the manifest presence of God so that people see him and experience him, or we block it by the way we do it or don't do it. And that can be true of our lives but it can also be true of our gatherings I, I remember a number of years ago in the theater I'm sorry to have to say this but I'm going to say it fire me you can laugh um, I remember in the theater years ago somebody came up afterwards and said I was livid absolutely livid we had visitors with us and the person in front of us had their feet up on the back of the seat had their iPad and they were strolling through Facebook the whole time you preached. They were talking about Christians, church members. I said, why don't you tell them to turn it off? They said, I was just too embarrassed for my friends. Now, what do you think that says to a non-Christian who walks in? Why should I go sit there for an hour and listen to a guy go crazy? I can sit at home in my comfort and go through Facebook. I can go to a cafe and have my favorite latte and do Facebook. If you're going to do that, stay home. It's not about a social media time. It's about a gathering of his sacred, holy presence. I hate to have to say that, but let me give you another example. I remember one service over at Fraser Parade. Place was packed. After the service, I went up to a woman who was visiting. I said, G'day, how are you? I'm Keith. I'm the pastor here. And she introduced herself. And I said, What brings you here today? She said, Well, I'm on a spiritual journey practicing Wicca, New Age, channeling, and all that stuff. So I'm going around to what might be hot spots in the city to see if there is supernatural stuff going on in the city. I said, okay, so what would you find today? Oh, I knew when I was walking up the driveway towards your building, there was an aura over your building even before I walked in. And she said, and when I walked in and I saw the people and I saw what was going on, there was something otherworldly in this place. 
I just looked at her and said, sweetheart, it's not an aura. It's a presence of God. She experienced the presence of God like she never has at a Wicca on, on a hill outside the city at night doing a Wicca ceremony. And I'm telling you, there, there's something that can happen. So what's the key that helps us make this happen when we gather together? Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to read this in the Passion Translation, Pastor Earl. I love that. <laughs> anyway, Hebrews 10, 24, I think has got a key because what it talks about is when we are together, it's a time for engagement with His presence and with each other. Hebrews 10.25, it'll go on the screen. This is not the time, oh gosh, if there ever was a scripture, I'm sorry. If there ever was a time to be prophetic in our day, this is it, the way the Passion says it. This is not the time to pull away or neglect meeting together. Wow. As some have formed the habit of doing, he has just named you. Sorry, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, laugh. In fact, watch this, in fact. We should come together even more frequently. Do you know people are not gathering together? People are gathering together less today than they did 10 years ago or 20 years ago. It's so negotiable. It's like, we're too busy. And your parents weren't busy. You've got all these devices to make you unbusy. I I think the last time I checked, the last time I checked, a day is still 24 hours long as it was 20 years ago, 30 years ago. It's what we do in that day. And here, here we are before the New Testament is even finished. He's saying some people are already in the habit of negotiating this getting together. They'll, they'll, they'll write it off spiritually saying, we don't have to be together to be with God. Oh, don't you love that argument? No, but why can't we be together with God? Anyway, in fact, we should come together even more frequently, eager, passionate, zealous. If anybody asks me, are you a fanatic? Absolutely. Unapologetically. For Alabama. <laughs> but for more so, for Jesus Christ. For Jesus Christ. Be eager. Be zealous to do what? Just to come and get a buzz? No. To come together so you can encourage and urge each other onward as we anticipate the day dawning. The exact opposite ought to happen as we get closer and closer to His second coming. And I will say this. I'm not saying that I've been told a date because you'll stone me. I'm saying I firmly believe in my heart of hearts we're at the beginning of the end. There's only one thing left to do before he comes, and it's called a great harvest. Everything else in the Bible calendar has been fulfilled. He's just kind of waiting. You guys, get on with it. Reach those people, because I want to come. And I believe the day is dawning, so the opportunities are right in front of us to see more people saved than ever before. So here's the deal. It's time to pull together and push forward passionately pursuing His presence together for increase, not decrease, even more so. And secondly, to come together with faith that God is in us, using us with His grace and His power to impact each other's lives so we impact this city and beyond for the kingdom of God. Can you bow your heads and close your eyes?
As we said in communion, all of this is made possible because of the cross, the hinge of history. God loved the whole world, every person in it. doesn't matter who they are, what color they are, what their background is, what nationality, what their preferences are. He loves them so much. He sent his one and only son that if they would trust him, believe in the New Testament means to trust, that if they would trust him, trust what? That he went to a cross. He paid for our sins. He opened the way back to the Father so we could be his son or his daughter together in the family of God. It's that simple. He is who he said he is, the Son of God. He did, in fact, do what he promised he would do, break the curse of the enemy and set us free and save us. How does that happen? Confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. Hey, if you've never done that, why not today? Why not you? You say, oh, well, maybe later, maybe tomorrow. Maybe there is no later for you. Maybe there is no tomorrow. But you do have this moment. This moment is for you. So why not pray a prayer something like this? You guys in the auditorium, downstairs, upstairs, how about, en- how about encourage these folk and pray this prayer with me that helps them connect with the Father? Why don't we pray this together? Dear God, I come to you now and confess that I need you. I can't save myself. I can't earn heaven. I know I've sinned against you. I ask your forgiveness. I now say that I believe, that I trust in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, that what he did at the cross, he did for me. Save me now. Receive me into your family. Thank you, God. I am saved. Fill me with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, guys, it's been great to be together here at the center, both downstairs, upstairs, in your home, or on on, uh, YouTube, however you are watching this. I trust that you have experienced the presence and the power of God like never before, but not just for this day and not just for you, for this day onward and for everyone you come in contact with, because the church of Jesus Christ will prevail in this day. Awesome. Won't you give God a great, great uh, praise?